Good morning. Thank you all for your willingness to start a few minutes early. Uh, our next state case is Belmont Association versus Farwig et al. And we will hear from the appellant. the court, Chief Justice Newby and Associate Justices, my name is James Galvin, and I have the honor of representing the appellants, homeowners, the Farwigs, in this matter today. I do intend to reserve five minutes for rebuttal. This case is about homeowners' ability to access solar energy and their fight against associations to do it. It's a case that pits the interests of the aesthetic preferences of an architectural control committee against the interest of the environment and homeowners that 22B-20 seeks to protect. Specifically before the court is an issue of statutory interpretation. Uh, the question is, when does the exception to the general rule apply? The general rule stated in subsection B prohibits any attempt by an association to ban or prohibit solar panels. Subsection D is the exception that applies in the limited circumstance in our position only when such prohibitions are expressly provided for in the covenants. Requiring the express prohibitions to be in the covenant results in the honoring the intent of the legislative intent in enacting the statute in the first place. It provides homeowners with notice that this important right to solar access may be infringed upon uh, and it keeps the power of preventing solar power properly in the hands of the covenants, not a discretionary decision of a committee. Before I jump into the flow of my argument, I do want to, to reference a key fact uh, that I believe is not relevant for the court's consideration, but I feel the majority opinion uh, of the Court of Appeals gave undue influence to. And that fact was my clients installed their solar panels before getting permission to do so. Uh, that is not at issue in this case today. At issue is, did the act of the Architectural Control Committee, I may call that the ARC in homeowner parlance, uh, did the act forbidding and denying the solar panels based on it being street facing, is that act void and unenforceable or not? The Court of Appeals majority referenced the fact that my clients installed them first and then asked permission later multiple times in the opinion, even in the concluding um, sentences, including concluding paragraph. Uh, but this happens often. Uh, it's not uncommon, as it was here, that someone does something and the association says, hey, wait, and which is also common, which is what happened here. You actually need to go through a process. And that's what this association did. They invited my clients through the process. They went through the process. And in November of 2018, the process resulted in the ARC committee deciding to deny solar panels based upon the fact that they were aesthetically unpleasing, that, that these were solar panels facing the street and that was aesthetically unpleasing. And then they pointed as their authority, as their authority to ban this. They did not point to the restrictions. Why? There's nothing in the recorded documents to support banning solar. They point to 22B-20. They point to the solar access statute as their authority to prevent my clients from getting solar access. Uh, what, is, what was intended to be a shield for my clients is now being used and wielded as a sword by an association that otherwise has nothing in their documents. 
that would purport to prohibit solar. But I just want to make sure that we don't get in that gutter because the decision is, and, and what I'm asking this court to do, is to find that the decision of the ARC committee is prohibited. It's found void and unenforceable under section, subsection B of the statute precisely because it's standing on the fact that it can avail itself of this exception. And the exception, again, in our position, can only be availed upon an association that has written express provisions. So the, the general flow of my argument is going to be the, the plain reading of the statute is sufficient to come to this conclusion of requiring express provisions. Um, the plain reading of subsection B and D, if all words are given meaning, uh, one. Two, if the court finds that it's necessary or helpful to get into the intent or legislative history, the intent is best expressed by the legislature's word in subsection A, words in subsection A, and both that intent and the legislative history support our plain reading and interpretation of the statute. Well, as you talk about the statute, uh, starting with its title, what influence should the title give us in terms of the statutory construction? Our case law would say that title should be given deference only if the, the plain words of the statute are otherwise unclear. Um, and I don't think we get there. I think there's a big jump into the land of ambiguity here by the Court of Appeals when they say in paragraph 16 of their opinion, just bluntly, we just find that there's a degree of ambiguity between subsection C, with the language have the effect of prohibiting, and subsection D, that only says would prohibit. They provide no rationale or explanation uh, for so finding. Is um, the title ambiguous or is it inconsistent? with the body of the statute or something else? I think the title is, um, provides a good summary of the bill, um, and it's not inconsistent. It, now, mind you, this is a bill that has three different statutes, um, and I, the association is seeking to apply the words of the title, which have, and, I, and I'll get to this in a second, there are two distinct categories uh, that are covered under the statute, um, and the title talks about both categories. Uh, but the association says, well, because the title references both categories, express provisions would prohibit, and this other category of restrictions that have the effect of prohibiting, their argument is, well, because it's in the title, we can apply those words and those categories to any statute in the bill and any section of any statute in the bill. So the title's good, it's descriptive, but a title can't be used to insert words and phrases into an exception of the statute. That's not there. And that's what the association is trying to do. They're trying to insert would have the effect of prohibiting into the exception language of subsection D, just because it's in the title. Um, the, the title doesn't claim to do that. The title doesn't claim to say, well, here's really, if you are going to have the exceptions, here are, the, here are these three provisions that you have to provide. The title doesn't wade into trying to establish the rules for the exception. So, the, the title's got a double negative in it as well. Uh, there is a way to construe the double negative in such a way that actually would operate against your clients. Uh, I'm sure you know that. Oh. What, what would you say about it? Only if you decide to apply the title against and, and, and value the title as something that could be applied to every section and subsection of the statute. And I don't think that that's warranted. Uh, not especially not when the subsections of the statute have been abundantly clear with these phrases. So in subsection A, sorry, subsection B, which states the general rule, it clearly states that what is prohibited is a deed restriction, 
covenant or similar binding agreement that <coughs> category one would prohibit solar panels category two comma or have the effect of prohibiting the general ban establishes two categories because it's seeking in consistent with the intent of legislature to ban any attempt that the associations might try to do it to ban solar panels um, not only those express provisions that that ban them but also ones that are used uh, to effectively prohibit that second category is so very noticeably absent in the exception and just because those words are in the title we don't <coughs> get to read them into subsection B or read them out of subsection B uh, so for example just because again I think the associations trying to create ambiguity and confusion of what, what just what does what would prohibit mean and does it mean the same thing as have the effect of prohibiting um, in making that argument they have the unenviable position of trying to look you all in the eye and say well the legislature created words and phrases that actually have no meaning in the statute which I don't think we get to conclude but let's say there's a provision that bans installation of anything on a roof where does that fall does that fall in category one uh, of something that would prohibit solar or does it fall in category two well if it falls in category one then the general rule it finds that restriction void and unenforceable that's the reason if, if you if you would prohibit it's void and unenforceable well if someone wants to install a solar panel uh, sorry a satellite dish and the association says, well actually there's a provision you can't put anything on the roof um, that homeowner doesn't get to say well 22 b20 uh, it's void and unenforceable because it well what no it doesn't prohibit solar uh, it would only if in the situation where someone says I want to put solar panels on my roof and the association says well hey there's a written restriction that says you can't put anything on they can't install anything on the roof. well that is a provision that would have the effect that would effectively prohibit solar if the association so decided to enforce that there's a distinction and they're trying they're trying to say there's a distinction without a difference it, it's it this statute does not invalidate that restriction in my example it doesn't invalidate a prohibition against installing anything on your roof unless that prohib prohibition is used effectively to ban solar that that's the plain reading I believe of the general rule going to the plain reading of the exception because again I don't think there's any argument that the general rule applies the argument is whether D applies the general rule applies because here getting away from uh, my example and getting to the specifics here we have a decision issued by an architectural control committee this is the restriction in the association's words that we're that is under the analysis is this void and unenforceable this decision clearly falls in category two the language that the association points to to say this is the language this is the deed restriction that we get to point to as our authority it's the language in, found in article 11 it's just it's, it's the language that creates an architectural review committee that's it and they say this is the language that creates not only a committee but it creates a process and it creates a process that results in hundreds of letters a year thousands if you consider all of them but that we have these letters that we get to issue and in this case it's that letter it's that decision 
that is pro prohibiting my clients from installing solar panel. That action is clearly a Category 2 action. It is not something, again, there's nothing that in the, staff, in, in the restrictions that would prohibit solar. It's just this decision of the ARC committee, which they were free to say yes or no. There was nothing in, in the covenants that prevent them to say, you know what, we love solar, we, we, we would love for you to have it approved. Nothing prevented that. It was just their decision. It's just they're acting on their authority in a way that had the effect of prohibiting solar. That's the action and that's the category for the court to consider this statute as whether this is void and unenforceable. Now, plain reading of subsection D, this is the exception. The plain reading of subsection D results in, I believe, a re requirement that uh, an association needs to have express prohibitions in their covenants in order to avail themselves of it. And here's why. It is glaringly absent from subsection D, this entire second category. Uh, they have the effect of prohibiting. If you look at the actual language of subsection D, it says that a deed restriction, covenant, or similar binding agreement that runs with the land that would prohibit solar panels. Um, that's, that's how you avail yourself of the exception. What is not there is this gigantic comma, this conjunction, or would have the effect of prohibiting. The plain reading of the exception means that you don't apply the exception to restrictions that have the effect of prohibiting. It only applies to category one uh, to restrictions that would prohibit. That's the plain reading of subsection D. Now, again, the association wants to say, well, we, our ARC, the provisions of the ARC would prohibit solar. Um, and really, that's not even what they're saying. The, the, the provisions of ARC doesn't prohibit solar. It's, it's not the, those provisions. It's actually just this decision. That's what we're looking at. And the plain reading, again, if you look at the words of subsection D, it talks very specifically, uses the definite article A, a deed restriction, covenant, or similar binding agreement, and this is important, that runs with the land, and then does not have any effective language. What we're talking about is written, recorded documents. Those are the documents that run with the land for our properties in North Carolina. And what they are saying is this ARC decision it runs with the land. That's not true. The creation of the ARC itself runs with the land, but the hundreds of opinions that the ARC issues that are unrecorded, of which no potential buyer or homeowner has any notice of or potentially access to, those aren't recorded documents, these decisions. They don't run with the land. They're not binding. If the ARC wants to say, you know what, um, we're not going to let purple paint in this year, and then five years later, it's like the hot thing, and the, 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 that supports the value of, fine, we can change that. There's no binding agreement that runs with the land. It doesn't apply. Subsection D only applies to written, recorded provisions. In terms of looking at the statute again, um, I'd like your response to what the majority has said in the Court of Appeals, uh, and I'm quoting we are unpersuaded by defendants' overly narrow interpretation of Section 22B-20 and disagree that the statute should be read in non-sequential order, unquote. 
Is the Court of Appeals wrong in terms of that depiction of your position, or is it otherwise in terms of uh, the majority looking at it and getting it wrong for some other reason? Respectfully, I, I think the majority misinterpreted our argument. I, I, first of all, I don't, um, I don't see the support for any non-sequential reading of this statute that's occurred. Uh, we are we're reading it in order. Now, we skipped over the intent. It's clear. We can talk about that. But the general rule, which references the exception, and then down to Section D, I think what the Court of Appeals may have been getting into, because this is another kind of gutter that I think they got into, is their, their dis- decision about subsection C, which isn't before the Court today. That's not, that's not subject of the dissent's opinion. Um, they got confused about subsection C, and they were thinking that maybe there was some out-of-sequence ordering where subsection C applies before subsection D referenced in subsection B. I honestly don't know. I don't think the, the, the majority opinion made that clear, and I don't see the relevance before uh, this court today. Uh, unless, of course, any of your honors have an issue or think that my argument is out-of-sequence or out-of-order. I don't, I don't believe it is. I don't see a reason. Uh, for that conclusion. So you disagree that the statute as interpreted by you on behalf of your clients is being read in non-sequential order? I disagree. I think our reading of the statute is that the general rule established in subsection B bans the the effect of the Architectural Review Committee. It's covered by that. The Architectural Review Committee has issued something that has the effect of banning solar. Subsection B calls that void and unenforceable. Done. Honestly, I think we're done. Uh, Because there's nothing in subsection D. Now, you do need to go through the subsection D analysis to make sure, because it's referenced in subsection B. You go down to subsection D and say, can they avail themselves of this exception? And the answer is no, because this is an act that is... Uh, based upon an unwritten opinion or uh, aesthetic preference of an ARC committee, and it only effectively prohibits. So let me let me follow up a little bit and ask you about the Court of Appeals' assertion <clears throat> that um, this is a few paragraphs after the one Justice Morgan was asking you about, um, says that it is clear from the title of the bill that the legislature was specifically addressing agreements that would, quote, have the effect of prohibiting the installation of solar collectors. What do you think that he's refer- they're referring to there in the title of the bill? I think they're referring to the general rule that, that, that acts to ban agreements, whether they're uh, expressly providing for prohibitions of solar panels or whether they have the effect of it. I, mean, I, I, I think the title is descriptive of the general rule, and it doesn't try to delve into the particulars of the exception. So do you think that by that he's then reading that into subsection D? I think so. Again, it's not clear to me how they make that kind of jump into the void of ambiguity based upon the the, the written opinion, but it does appear that they use the title to get, which I don't think you get to unless there's ambiguity, but they use the title to say, I think there might be some ambiguity here. It's not clear. It's not clear why the effect of prohibiting is in B and C, but not D, uh, well, which I disagree. The, the opinion does say that, that there's a degree of ambiguity between the words, quote, effective preventing in subsection C and the words would prohibit in subsection D. They what say do you make that. of that? I, 
They say that without support. I disagree. I think, to me, again, I think it's clear, and I went to the example before, but would prohibit is a phrase, and it precedes or have the effect of prohibiting. The question is, does that second phrase mean anything? And if it does, it creates a second category. And if it creates a second category, what is that category as compared to the first category? And again, forgive me for maybe oversimplistically understanding the word would prohibit, but I believe that category to mean anything means that would expressly prohibit because otherwise the second category wouldn't mean anything. What does the second category mean if, if the first category isn't talking about express provisions? I would say it means nothing. And, and again, I don't think we're allowed to do that, which is why I don't think it's, there's ambiguity. I think there's the presence of that phrase and it means something. And I think in subsection D, there's the absence of that phrase, and it means something. Well, what here has the effect of prohibiting solar? Here, the effect of prohibiting solar is the ARC's discretionary authority to deny an improvement. Okay, how is, and, and that's an action by the ARC? That's an action by the ARC. How does that action qualify uh, as a deed restriction, covenant, or similar binding agreement? I don't believe it does, Your Honor. I, just, I think it's a letter that was issued to my client on November 2nd, 2018, that no other owner is privy to. And I don't think it binds anyone to anything other than it tells my client, you got to get rid of those solar panels. Well, how, how is that a violation of the statute if it's an action by the ARC? Because it, it, that action has the effect of prohibiting my client's ability to install solar. Right, but that... that the item having the effect is not a deed restriction covenant or similar binding agreement. It's an action by a third party or another party. Well, then by that argument, you're supporting, I think, an opinion that the less, the, the less language in a, in a recorded agreement that speaks directly to solar, the more power uh, that an ARC may have to prevent something. The association's argument is, no, the, the, the provision that acts to effectively prohibit solar is the provision that establishes the ARC in Article 11 of the Declaration and the <coughs> process that flows from it. Right, so. but you would agree the mere establishment of the ARC does not uh, prohibit uh, solar? That's right. It, can, it, it may only have the effect of prohibiting. It so, does not prohibit. So the deed provision, uh, deed restriction covenant or similar binding agreement, that is the establishment of the ARC, uh, does not in any way violate Section B, the mere establishment of the ARC. Not, not unless it's used to effectively prohibit solar. But that, that's the use, not the restriction itself. That's right. It's the effective use, which I, th that's what I believe the, the second category must mean, um, if it's to mean anything. So, so do you believe it was the intent of the legislature to um, – create a statute that eliminated the ARC or similar entities from being able to act? Not at all. The, okay, so how do, how do we square these two provisions? So the, the establishment of ARCs is just it's North Carolina common law. They've got that discretion, um, and then it has to be exercised reasonably and in good faith, and not in violation of any statute that seeks to regulate it. So that, yes, the intent of the association of, of the legislature in, in subsection A is to encourage the development of use of solar resources and to prohibit deed restrictions and covenants and other similar agreements that could have the effect of doing otherwise. 
So yes, I do think it was the intent, specifically, the legislature is wanting to encourage solar, and it and identifies three, three obstacles to get across. City ordinances, county ordinances, those the first two statutes in the bill, and homeowners associations, and their ability to either wield specific provisions or their ability, I think, to have an architectural control committee wield their aesthetic preferences to do so. Did the ARC, I'm sorry, Justice. Go ahead. Is there, thank you. Uh, was there some response by the ARC to your clients that uh, there was the prospect of relocating the solar panels, quote, to the back north sloping roof, unquote, and if that is indeed in the record, um, as I'm intimating that it must be, then doesn't that show that the ARC uh, was permitting solar panels, just not in a place that would face a public access area? Well, they denied my client's application for solar, and the reference to putting it on the rear <clears throat> is addressed, and that, that I think, is the discussion that may apply with subsection C, which we're not discussing today. But what was also clear in the record, and is not a disputed fact, is that if, you're, if your home faces southerly in the northern hemisphere, which we are in North Carolina, you can't have a traditional substitute of energy with solar panels unless they're on the front. And, and that was proven. We, there was a shade report that was provided to the association that was acknowledged, and that, that's not an issue. The, the, in order for my clients to actually use solar power to substitute traditional energy, it needs to be southward facing. And again, but, but is this some indication by the ARC that it was not prohibiting solar panels by your client? It's just a matter of the placement of them for aesthetic purposes for the sake of the community? That would have the effect of prohibiting in this situation. So that, again, if you look at the first, um, edition of the bill. This gets, they attempt to, uh, to address this. The legislature says, hey, we understand, um, they weren't so cavalier saying, hey, forgive me, but we understand that there are things, the entities, ARCs, they reference them, the entities that are granted authority, um, but we also understand that if your house faces south, or 45 degrees this way, or 45 degrees that way to the south, then you need panels on the front of your house. And so they tried it, they tried in the, in the first attempt of the bill to say, okay, we're gonna give ARC power here, um, and, but we're, it, we're gonna do this, in, we're gonna limit it in this complicated way. And what the legislative history shows is that they abandoned that complicated attempt in favor of a much simpler rule. It's all banned unless there is an articulation that, that allows the uh, express prohibitions, uh, sorry, the express exception in, in subsection D. So again, I don't think we even get to what the ARC was feeling about where the panels should go because their act is prohibited. It, 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 it's void and unenforceable unless they actually have the voice of the covenants behind them. So again, let, me, let me jump in real quick. Just have a, a clarification. I know your time's running short. Running long time. um, I just want to make follow up from Justice Berger's question about the ARC and the article that creates it and make sure I'm understanding what you're saying. Is it, is it your position that the ARC being created in Article 11 um, can do all prohibit all kinds of things, like a big ugly sculpture in your front yard or can't paint your house some color or, you know, put a satellite dish on the front door or something? But they just can't ban, they can't do something that has the effect of prohibiting you from putting solar because of this statute. 
yes, comma, unless those there are provisions in the covenants that would do so, that comport with the exception. That would expressly do that. Right. So you might have seen that this statute is not retroactive. Um, one of the reasons you don't make a statute retroactive is because you're trying to put people on notice. And this, is, this statute was putting developers and associations on notice. If you want to try to ban this very important access, you have to put it in your declarations. That you have to have provisions that would prohibit them, and they have to follow these three things. That's the, that's the notice that, that again, the, the statute, the legislature is providing to developers. You get to do this now, but you have to do it this way. Um, but it's also, because it's requiring it to be in the covenants, it's also putting uh, all uh, per potential purchasers on notice, that I'm moving into a community that's trying to prevent this pretty essential right, according to the legislature. Um, and we, we're, we're uh, on notice that, uh, that the covenants say this and that I'll have to buy in wondering, that, will the ARC allow this or not? Um, what will the ARC decide this year versus next year? Are they going to allow me to do this or not? We don't have to wonder. Uh, the statute says you've got to put people on notice. The developers first because they get to put it in there, and then the homeowners who get to look at the binding agreements that run with the land. I'm going to reserve my final minute uh, for rebuttal, if I may. Thank you, Council. Thank you. We'll hear from the FLA. Uh, good afternoon. May it please the court. My name is Brian Edlin. I'm counsel for the Belmont Association. Uh, Co-counsel Molly Cozart with my firm. We represent the appellee in this case, the Belmont Association. And we're here today on the interpretation of 22B in an architectural dispute with the Homeowners Association here in Wake County. Um, ladies and gentlemen of the court, uh, the first thing I would like to do is address uh, some very good questions from uh, Justices Morgan about the title of the bill. You asked... Uh, what influence does uh, the title have on, on, your, on this court? Uh, well, uh, under uh, State versus Simpson, Supreme Court case, it says we cannot, as defendant would have us do, ignore the title of the bill. The title of the bill is when it's introduced, being placed there by the author, and probably attracts more attention than any other part of the proposed law. And if it passes into law, the title thereof is consequently a legislative declaration of the tenor and object of the act. That is the influence that the title of the bill has on this court's opinion. And it's from State versus Simpson, so it is very important. It, it is important if you initially decide there's some ambiguity between the statute, which we don't think there is. But if you do, the title has great influence on, the, on ascertaining the legislative intent in this case. Um, you also asked... Um, isn't there a double negative? And yes, there is a double negative in the title of the bill. Uh, uh, justices, the, uh, the bill was introduced initially in March of 2007, uh, and it went into committee. Uh, and when it went into committee, uh, it was worded completely different. Uh, the, the initial version of the bill, Senate Bill 670, uh, had uh, A, B, uh, C and D, but it did not have the current version of D that we're talking about here today. It didn't have it. It was absent. Uh, what it did have in D, though, was a sentence, and this is Senate Bill 670, the first edition, uh, says the property owner shall not be denied permission by any entity granted the power or right in any deed restriction, covenant, or similar binding agreement 
to approve, forbid, control, or direct alteration of property to install energy devices. Um, what happened was that went into committee in March of 2007, and it came out of committee. And when it came out of committee, the title of the bill had changed, and subsection D that we're here talking about today was added. Uh, how did the title change? Well, the title changed by stating, adding to the entire tenor of the act, it says now uh, an act to provide that deed restrictions, covenants, and other similar agreements cannot prohibit or have the effect of prohibiting the installation of solar collectors not facing public access or common areas on detached single-family residences. That last part of the act applies to deed restrictions that prohibit or have the effect of prohibiting. Uh, so that's, that's what happened with the title, and it's a clear indication of the legislative intent in balancing uh, the desire to promote alternative energy, but at the same time respecting private restrictive covenants that everybody enters into when they buy in a planned community. And their reasonable expectation is that there is some process that governs changes and modifications to homes. It is a balancing act, and it was negotiated in the legislature, and it came out on the other end with the governor signing it. And now we have uh, subsection D. And subsection D uh, is what we're here to talk about today. And uh, now Judge Shirley um, at the trial court um, and then Judges Gore and Collins of the Court of Appeals agreed with our interpretation uh, that subsection D uh, allows uh, restrictive covenants that would prohibit solar panels that are visible to a person on the ground on common area or a public right-of-way. It is a narrow exception, uh, but it applies in this case. The homeowner's property is situated facing south, and according to the uh, Sustainable Energy Association, south-facing roofs are where you generate the most energy. Unfortunately, for the owners here, that puts them directly in the crosshairs of subsection D. Uh, had their roof been facing north, they would have, as Justice Morgan commented, the Homeowners Association would have allowed them to put it on the north because that's a, the back of their property. Nobody can see it. And so they're not protected by subsection D at that point. Subsection B would prohibit them from preventing the installation on the back of their property. Unfortunately, for these owners, the front of their house is facing south. And so it puts them directly in the crosshairs of subsection D. Uh, now, there can be no doubt uh, that these covenants contain a restriction or other binding agreement that requires approval of modifications. Uh, it, is, it is in the record. It is Article 11. It is recorded with the Wake County Register of Deeds. Um, Article 11 plainly states no site preparation of a lot, no change in grade, slope, no construction or alteration or addition to changes to any improvement on a lot shall be made without consent of the Architectural Committee. And then we, we look at a lot of these covenants. Um, in this particular covenant, is, as counsel for the appellant indicates, is 90 pages long. It is quite comprehensive. The definition of improvement is almost one page long. One page long. Uh, it is extensive, and it encompasses everything. And it certainly encompasses putting solar panels on the front of your, uh, the front-facing uh, portion of your roof facing an area of common or open access. Uh, the, the, there can't be any argument that these restrictions are 
what is contemplated in D, restrictive covenant, deed restrictions or other bonding agreement that would prohibit uh, solar panels. Um, at the uh, trial court on summary judgment, there were one, two, three, four instances in which counsel for the appellant said, it is an improvement and it is required to get permission. Um, uh, on pages 4, 26, 27, and 28 of the transcript, um, it was acknowledged that this is a change, it's a modification, it requires improvement. The deed restriction that we're talking about here is Article 11. It is recorded with the Register of Deeds. People buy into this community with the expectation that there is some control about what can and can't be built. Um, so that cannot be an issue. The decision denying the panels was not arbitrary or capricious. It was made in good faith. And as Justice Fry uh, wrote in uh, Raintree versus Bleeman, if there's no evidence of bad faith or arbitrary or capriciousness, this doesn't go to the jury. This is a matter of law for a court to decide. And that's from Justice Fry in the Raintree case. Um, now, we think the statute is clear because it says would prohibit. Well, I would have won the race had I not tripped, right? I would have built the shed had the architectural committee not denied it, right? It's a past tense. It reflects something that occurs in the past in order for, to trigger it, right? So if you believe that the absence of have the effect of prohibiting in B uh, is, excuse me, in D, creates an ambiguity, then what we would submit to this court is that the legislative intent uh, that I spoke of earlier uh, is, is a clear indication of the intent of the legislature to balance these private restrictive covenants that these communities uh, all are subject to with the desire to promote alternative energy. Uh, now, in State versus Beck, uh, the Supreme Court said that the court eschews statutory construction in favor of giving words their plain meaning. Well, would, the word would, we contend, is, is, is sufficient. You do not need to read into subsection D have the effect of. We think would is sufficient uh, because had they intended to require some express restriction on solar panels in D, they would have said that prohibits. Uh, or they could have done what they did in the Planned Community Act for flags of the United States of America. In 2005, the legislature passed a bill, and in that bill, they said that in order to prohibit a flag of the United States of America or the state of North Carolina, your covenants have to contain express words. It has to contain certain words. What words do they have to contain? Well, the statute says it has to contain, has to specifically use the United States American flag, United States flag, and North Carolina flag. If the legislature had intended subsection D to require some sort of language in order for the association to benefit from them, then it would have done that, just like it did with the Planned Community Act when, in reference to uh, flags. Um, the appellants contend that we're missing some language in D. Uh, well, what, what language are we missing? Uh, are we missing the words solar panel, solar collector, alternative energy device? What do we have to put in the covenants to, to get the benefit of subsection D? It, um, it is really difficult to, to determine that. Um, we contend that the statute is clear. Uh, if there is ambiguity, the legislative intent is clear based on uh, the, the history 
of the bill coming in, going into the legislative um, committee and then out of committee and ultimately being signed by the governor. Uh, we think the proper course of action here, if they want to read subsection D the way they want to read it, uh, which is far more comprehensively than the legislature intended in our position, they should do what they did with House Bill 842 about a year ago, and which was didn't get through the legislature, which completely deleted subsection D. Um, and that, so this is a matter for the legislature, not for the Supreme Court, um, to, to rewrite subsection D. If they want to interpret D this way or they want to change the law, then they can go to the legislature and they can pass a new law that deletes that. Um, the legislature in 2007, however, passed a law that narrowly carves out uh, restrictive covenants that, ha that prohibit solar panels on a roof surface that slopes downward toward the same areas open to common or public access that are visible to persons on the ground. Uh, now, uh, architectural committees are created pursuant to Article 11, which is a recorded deed restriction. Uh, and they change from year to year. Uh, boards of directors appoint the architectural committee. So it, it, it's conceivable that next year, Belmont could uh, elect a new board of directors. That board of directors would appoint a new architectural committee, and they could decide that they want to have solar panels on the front of roofs. And I'm sure there are plenty of communities in North Carolina that decide to do that, and it's within their discretion to do that. But it's also within the discretion of those communities that decide that they would rather not have solar panels, architectural committees, and boards of directors of these local communities to decide that they don't want to have them. Uh, and if they decide that, that's fine. They can't do it, though, on the north, if, if the, the house is facing to the north. This really only comes into play if the house is facing towards the south, uh, because that's where you get your energy. If it's facing towards the north and the south, where you can't see it and it's not visible from the ground, um, they, can, they can have the, the restriction. Subsection D would prohibit the association from restricting those. Well, and so, to follow that line of thinking, then if a house is facing in that direction such that it would need to have the panels imposed on the north side, then isn't that arguably prohibiting, which therefore could fall in line with the other side's contention that there is a prohibition said another way, isn't such a restriction tantamount to a prohibition? A restriction, if there was a denial to place them on the north side of the house, uh, and, 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 a, and a, the, first of all, I, I don't interpret the uh, Sustainable Energy Association's position as that they can only get acceptable amounts of energy usually on the south side of the house. So I think that the, the point that I'm trying to make is that if the front of the house as, uh, is facing north and the rear of the house where you can't, it's not visible from a person on the ground, uh, if that's the case, then uh, subsection B would prohibit the Architectural Committee from denying those panels. Well, and I'm not guided so much by the directions of the homes. It's, it's more trying to understand how the dissent would not be correct that a restriction could be tantamount to a prohibition and therefore looking at the, the title as well as what D would, would support uh, in the statute, and that is if it has the effect of prohibiting, then in fact a restriction would be fulfilling that aspect which is being prohibited by the statute. Right. And it gets to, that also gets to Judge uh, Justice uh, Berger's point was 
which is which I think they're trying to do is they're having trying to have uh, have their cake and eat it too. They say on the one hand that this deed restriction, which they don't think there is a deed restriction that specifically addresses solar, it's the architectural control provision, uh, violates subsection B. Well, how does it violate subsection B? Because it doesn't mention the word solar, right? It doesn't. Um, they can't say on the one hand uh, subsection B is is violated because of Ar um, Article 11. Um, but on the other hand, in subsection D, say that um, we don't, we're not entitled to benefit from the exemption in, in subsection D. But, but uh, it's, your, it's your position that you are entitled to benefit from that exception. Yes, that, absolutely. So, so you are, you're arguing that the Architectural Review Committee does fit under this exception. The decision, yes, yes. correct. So, yes. And, and I want to ask you about your... So your argument is that, in your view, there's, there is an ambiguity here, and that um, in subsection D, the would prohibit, the, the exception that allows um, a covenant that would prohibit covers the decision of the Architectural Review Committee in this case. And so my question for you is then, if it's not ambiguous, what in, sub, in section B does the language um, would have the effect of prohibiting? It, 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 it's it's uh, redundancy. Frankly. So it's just superfluous. It's superfluous, Your Honor. It's it's superfluous, and it's uh, you know I would say to you uh, if you look at um, it's akin to State versus Beck. In that case, um, there was an interpretation of two words in the same paragraph, uh, evidence versus some item of evidence, uh, and you know, the Supreme Court said that granted the reading means that the term evidence is in the first clause is the same. Uh, item of evidence in the second have virtually the same meaning. However, this is not a compelling reason to ignore the plain meaning of the language. Right, but so, how does that square with our canon of statutory construction that we shouldn't assume that the General Assembly put something in a statute that it didn't mean to have some important meaning, that it, that, that it, it intentionally put in superfluous words? I think that, that that is an excellent question, and what I would, my response to that would be that what that would do is trigger um, if, you, if, you, if you chose to uh, believe that would or have the effect of prohibiting have different meanings, materially different meanings, then it creates an ambiguity. And where that leads you to is the legislative intent, and that leads you to the title of the bill, and it also leads you to the first version of the bill that went in in March of 2007 to committee, which specifically called permission to install a solar panel as a binding agreement, a covenant, or a deed restriction. It specifically called it that. Well... It doesn't seem to me that by concluding that those two words set up two different categories, that it's clear on its face that would prohibit and would have the effect of prohibiting are two different categories, that that, that, that doesn't seem to by itself create, how does that by itself, I should say, help me understand how that creates an ambiguity. Well, again, I think both of, I think the appellant and the appellee are on the same page on this. We both, we all contend, I think, that the statute is clear. We, unfortunately, reasonable minds disagree sometimes, and so, you know, th this court may find that there's ambiguity so that you get into the legislative intent, which I think only helps our position because if you look at the two versions of the bill, the one that came in and the one that came out, they're materially different, and the title, as Justice Morgan pointed out, clearly has a double negative that deals with prohibitions as well as have the effect of prohibiting. It deals with both of those instances. I, I, one other, briefly, B and C, D, by the way, the statute, what came out, the bill that we're looking at today, the statute we're looking at today, both of them cross-reference each other. 
So if you look at D, it says uh, land that would prohibit the location of solar collectors as described in B. So D mentions B. And then B mentions D. B says except as provided in D of this section, any deed restriction, etc. So they both cross-reference each other. So to try to disconnect them Well, let me, let me ask you a follow-up about that. Um, in subsection B uses the language would prohibit, and subsection D also uses the, the phrase would prohibit. The, the difference between the two is that in subsection B, after that, it says or have the effect of prohibiting, and subsection D does not. Are you saying that, that mean, that's meaningless? It, it is a distinction without a difference, and it's, it gets back to the uh, case that I just cited, State versus Beth, where uh, there were two different words, evidence and uh, the words uh, evidence and um, evidence and the same item of evidence were interpreted to mean the same thing in that case by the Supreme Court. So are you saying that a, a, a specific provision that expressly prohibits solar panels is the same as one that doesn't expressly prohibit but has the effect of prohibiting? Well, those are two different things. If there was a... But I thought you just said there was no difference between the meaning of prohibiting and having the effect of prohibiting. Uh, there's no difference between the words would prohibit or have the effect of prohibiting. They're essentially the same thing. When you look at the legislative intent taken together, the title of the act, the, uh, the introduction of subsection D in the second version of the bill... Uh, I'm, not going, I'm not going behind the, right. the statute. I'm just looking at the language. Right and asking you whether the, the phrase have the effect of prohibiting, I thought I heard you say that that is the same as the, the, the would prohibit. example you gave about evidence and a piece of evidence, so it means the same thing. Um, but that's not what you're saying? No, that is what I'm saying. They're, they're effectively the same thing. It's, an, like I said, a redundancy. Would prohibit or have the effect of prohibiting. It's a, it's a disjunctive or, obviously, would prohibit or have the effect of prohibiting. And in the title of the bill, they're used so, as... So without re reference to the title of the bill, um, so my question then is, are you saying that expressly prohibiting means the same thing as not expressly prohibiting but having the effect of prohibiting? Uh, well, there isn't the word, the phrase expressly prohibiting, I don't think is in the statute. Um, it is not in B and it is not in D. Uh, expressly prohibit. It's would prohibit or have the effect of prohibiting, I believe, is the phrases that are used. So you don't think pro that would prohibit means specifically prohibiting? Yes, no. I, I think it would prohibit would encompass Article 11 in this case, uh, the, the entire process, the architectural control process in Article 11, which is a reported deed restriction, yes, would prohibit. Because as I said in the beginning, I would have won the race had I not tripped and fallen. I would have built the shed had the architectural committee not, not denied it. The w use of the word would is past tense. It connotes something else happening. If they wanted an express provision, they would have said that prohibits. That is a lot better than would prohibit. Right? Would is something that happens in the past and is contingent on a decision. That's, that's, the, that's the... I argument. think you're assuming extreme mastery of grammatical subtlety. <laughs> <laughs> well, one can... Uh, let me just ask you one other question about this issue of legislative intent. And I, uh, you've talked a lot about the title, but shouldn't we give weight to subsection A, which sets out an explicit language? The intent of the General Assembly is to protect the health, safety, and welfare, 
by encouraging the development and use of solar resources and by prohibiting deed restrictions covenants. Should, isn't, isn't that the most clear express indication of what the intent behind this statute is? Correct, and uh, it is. It is, one, it is an indication of their policy objectives with the statute. There's no doubt about it. But you can't, you can't ignore subsection D. Subsection D exists. And uh, the, the, so what that means is the legislature clearly had an intent to have a surgical restriction here on <coughs> the limitation of solar panels. And restrictions which can be seen from the front of the home uh, can be prohibited. Uh, they can be prohibited. They, you, you read a statute, and uh, I believe um, there was a question from Judge Morgan, Justice Morgan, excuse me. Uh, Justice Morgan asked uh, about the non-sequential order of the reading of the statute. We contend that you read a statute from A to E, not E to A, right? Subsection D says this section, this section does not prohibit a deed restriction. Well, what section are they talking about? Well, the section that they're talking about, of course, is uh, in Senate Bill 670. You can look at it, and it was divided into three sections. Some of it had to do with um, county ordinances and things like that. Well, Section 3 is 22B. Section 3 is 22B. So w w the section they're referring to, when it's in subsection D, when it says this section, they're referring to the entire section, Section 3 of Senate Bill 670. It's the entire section. So the policy that you're referring to is correct. That is a policy. But subsection D applies to the entire thing, and number one. And number two, it's a clear indi indication uh, expressly right there. Uh, that there can be deed restrictions that prohibit, um, that would prohibit uh, solar panels that are visible by a person on the ground on the roof surface that slopes downward towards the same areas open to common or public access. Uh, so um, so we, we can't, the, the policy objective in subsection A is important. Uh, I, we understand it. Uh, but if, if they wanted to have a broader, more sweeping prohibition on restrictive covenants, they certainly wouldn't have put in D. And I wasn't involved in the legislature. I don't know when it went into committee, came out of committee. But oh, I, it came out of committee in 2007, and it had a, a fairly, uh, uh, you know, a, a significant limitation on, on, the, on the general prohibition in, Arctic, in, in subsection B. But, um, but I think the contention by the homeowners is that the General Assembly by using the different language categories of restrictions that would prohibit and restrictions that have the effect of prohibiting, that the purpose of subsection D is to say, yes, you can prohibit these, but you have to do so explicitly. You have to have a provision that would prohibit, not a provision that would only have the effect of prohibiting. Right, and two years before they passed this bill, Justice Earls, they passed a bill on American flags, too. And what they said in that bill was that in order to restrict, for a restriction to prohibit American flags, it had to expressly use the term American flags. And they said that in the bill. So the legislature knows how to require specific terms to avail yourself of an exception. And they did that. And that's in the Planned Community Act, 47F3121. And so that, that would be uh, my response to that. And again, there is no indication of what words have to be in. Do we, is it solar collectors, alternative energy devices? What exactly do we have to say in the covenants um, to, um, to get, a, to avail ourselves of, the, of, of subsection D? Um, 
In summary, uh, we do not think the statute is ambiguous. We think would prohibit. Uh, the use of the word is clear. Uh, it's unambiguous. And in this case, uh, at the trial court, uh, and in the first addition to the bill, uh, the concept of permission is referred to repeatedly as a, um, as a binding agreement, a covenant or deed restriction. Um, uh, and so we think that it, it's, it's clear uh, that a deed restriction, a covenant or restriction that would prohibit, in this case, Article 11, the architectural committee's uh, process, uh, is clear that subsection D can uh, allow the architectural committee to deny panels that are facing towards the front of the house uh, and visible to a person on the ground. Uh, to the extent it is ambiguous, then the history in the legislation um, is important. Uh, subsection D was added at the same time the title of the bill was uh, changed. Uh, Justice Morgan is correct. There is a double negative there. Uh, the exception in the title clearly says uh, not facing public access or common areas on detached single-family homes, and it applies to covenants that prohibit or have the effect of prohibiting. That's right there in the title. And under uh, well, the title of this enacted statute is much shorter, right? It, it, it only says deed restrictions and other agreements prohibiting solar collectors. What's, what significance does that have? The title of the bill itself? No, the title of the statute, um, subsection 22B-20. Uh, it says deed restrictions and other agreements prohibiting solar collectors. Right. Uh, well, that, uh, you know, that, that is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight words. I mean, there, there, some of that's a function of how long the title can be. Uh, it's not uncommon for legislation to have bills. Bills are what gets, uh, uh, are the, is, the, is the headline, right? And that's what gets things through the legislature. But this is what's part of the statute. Once it's codified, then they, it's shortened and abbreviated. Uh, through a codified you know, rulemaking process, but it's but what was it, it was signed by the governor and became law had the title of the bill on it. Um, so, um, so uh, in summary, uh, we believe that uh, the uh, statute is clear. If there is an ambiguity, you can look to the uh, legislative history. Uh, the public policy was to balance private restrictive covenants uh, as well as the desire to promote alternative energy, and we think that the proper course of action here is, as they've attempted to do since this case began, uh, pass a bill to delete Section D of the statute. Um, and uh, thank you very much for your time. Thank we you, would counsel. respectfully request that you affirm the uh, Court of Appeals decision. Thank you, counsel. Thank you. Rebuttal. I'm glad to hear that opposing counsel agrees it's not ambiguous. Uh, he then fails to convince the court that we should ignore an entire phrase uh, that is connected with an or. It's very, very different than State v. Beck that references evidence and some piece of evidence in another. There's, these are two distinct phrases. The second phrase has to have a meaning. The, the best effort opposing counsel makes in trying to erase the distinction is delving into legislative history, which he says we don't need to do. Um, so I don't believe he met the objective uh, in convincing this court that those words have no meaning. Um, Regarding the American flag uh, syllogism, where <clears throat> I, in the interest of time, I address that squarely in my reply, reply brief. Reply brief. Uh, there are other statutes that answer that argument very clearly, so I would direct your attention to that. Um, and the reality is we, we 
this, the legislature did not clearly empower ARCs in the statute to fell swoop, have 25% of all homes facing south to not have solar panels on them. They, in, they, they did not empower the legislature. Uh, the legislature did not empower ARC to do so. Thank you, Council. I believe your time's expired. Cool.